Hello and welcome to the 163rd episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what the releases are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, show initially focuses on the developers themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote. Which in this case isn't a game at all. No, this week we're talking about a series of books called Visual Compendiums, and they are published by Bitmap Books. Sam. Hi, Chris. Who are you, and what do you do? <laughs> well, my name's Sam Dyer. I'm a graphic designer by trade, and I have lots of fun running Bitmap Books. So tell us a bit about, about Bitmap Books. It's, uh, it's a extraordinary endeavour which you took on when? Back in 2014, uh, the company was started. It actually all started with, it didn't start as a company, it was just an idea that I had to produce a book on the Commodore 64. And not just an ordinary book, I wanted to produce something that really focused on pixel art, because that's where my that's where my sort of passion is, my love of visual things. And it was something that hadn't been done before, and I thought it was something I would buy, so I thought that I hoped that other people would as well. And it started really from that, and has kind of built over the years, and it's sort of snowballed, really. It's kind of a... Not kind of. It is a celebration of the work done over the last 30 years, isn't it? Of it video is. games, really. Um, I mean, there is pixel art in modern games, as we all know. Um, many indie games love pixels, uh, pixel art because for reasons, although you and I know that the... Um, actually, no, the main reason it does is because it uh, allows for very fluid and very defined movement to be shown on the characters and if you play there's a whole host of games that use pixel art to display on the games like I don't know, Binding of Isaac there, there's one I mean but you and I know that no 16-bit machine or even the 8-bit machine could possibly even try <laughs> to, to run Binding of Isaac because there's way 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 more going on and it just looks you know simplistic but it's not uh, you, you agree with that yes yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm playing at the moment a game called Axiom Verge yeah. on the Switch, and that's kind of a similar sort of thing. It's got that NES sort of look about it, but on a, but on a modern machine, I think it it works really, really well. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it. Like you studied this before; it's something you have a passion for. But no NES could ever do. <laughs> it's like I'm just going to grind to a halt. I'll be a flickering mess. Yeah, exactly. It's just the way it is. Um, so. How did you, I mean, you already said to you, how did you make your start looking at it? So it's 2014, and the first book was on the C64, wasn't it? Yeah, because that was my that was my first computer, my first love, if you like. And at the time, it, the plan wasn't to create a series of books. It was just a sort of a standalone book on the Commodore 64. And um, that was kickstarted, wasn't it? That, that, yes, that was. So there'd been a couple of other uh, sort of books around video games that had been on Kickstarter. So I sort of done a bit of research and seen that there was a uh, that there was an audience, if you like, out there. And it seems like a great platform, obviously, for someone like me to self-publish because, yeah, you basically gauge the interest and you get the money up front, and it's just a perfect way of producing projects like this. There's varying degrees of success in all of these endeavours, of course, and I mean I've backed a few um, horses, some of which haven't managed to bear fruit. <laughs> you know, and uh, they, they all, sometimes you get updates every six months going, oh, "I'm still working on this." It's been five years, my friend. I can't remember your name. Is this a thing? <laughs> you know, it just happens. Uh, but I know that you, you know, had a, a special endeavour in mind, and you had a very focused approach to the whole thing, which we'll talk about later on in the show. But you know, like I said, this isn't your main bread and butter. This is something you do as a passion project. Yes, you do make a little bit of money on it, but ultimately, you're just trying to share your love and passion for what is, um, you know, a very special uh, medium, very unique one. Um, so. 
you know, that's obviously you've been driven by that. But uh, what do you believe as as a creator of these these books? What is the thing that influences you the most? Do you think is it the art itself, or I mean, what what how you know this this creation, the layout? I'm just flicking through the spectrum one at the moment as we're as we're recording. What is the thing? That you think you influences you the most. What 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 do you think influenced you, and during their creation? I think it is it is very much the pixel art. It's as everyone knows when we used to um, have these games loading. You know, back in the eighties. Uh, I mean, I had the Commodore sixty four, and nine times out of ten, you had a loading screen. And I can remember as a kid staring at the sort. Of, basically coloured squares in, and just been amazed that they managed to get it looking like Robocop or, you know, arrange them to look like Batman and just thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. And I'm actually surprised that I never went into sort of game art um, because it did really inspire me to get into art and design um, those Commodore 64 days. So I think to answer the question, it's definitely around pixel art, definitely. And I think that comes through in the layout for the visual compendiums because the, the layout is very minimal and that's very deliberate. Uh, so a double page spread on a particular game will just have one image um, uh, f- from from that, you know, normally like an iconic sort of moment in pixels, and then there'll be a little block of text which will be a comment from the from the, the developer or maybe a review from. A magazine journalist and it's been quite hard sometimes to resist temptation to maybe add different screenshots in the corner or you know the box art as as you know uh, have people who some people who don't maybe um some people love the sort of the the way the pixel art really is the hero and i think some people um sort of questions you know that they want more on the page but i'm really pleased that i've stuck to the the design you know, sort of ethos um, that I believed in and really made a hero of the pixel art. And I think that's the right thing to do. Yes, because in many cases it's completely borderless printing mm. of of the images, of the, you know, rendered images. And, you know, I've just flicked here and I've just suddenly landed on the page of Spy Hunter, which is one of the, you know, the earliest games I had on my my my, um, my Spectrum, oddly enough. Um, I do remember seeing that and it's, it's just amazing what they could pull off with so yeah. little back then, um, and that's you know you can't. Some of it was atrociously bad, and in fact, there's now been uh, attempts to actually say, you know what, it would, this would have been a way better screen, <laughs> screen loading screen yeah. with you know with the same technology. Like, yep, yep, it would have been. I mean, you know, uh, flipping over to the Amstrad because you know that's me, uh, my my uh, my defence of that lovely machine or machines. Um, I still think the Akai Warrior loading screen is a travesty. Uh, just look it up <laughs> on the Amstrad. It just it looks like a five-year-old did it. It's just so bad. Um, whereas, you know, um, just again, I'm just my, it's just a marvel of this, this book where you just look through and uh, you see all the loading screens and you see Rambo's loading screen, which I would contest. Oh, no, I don't want to go into this realm, but looks slightly better than the uh, C64 loading screen. Um, I think I don't know how they did that without the color clash. How did they do that? I don't know, but um, you're right. It's you're 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 inspired by the artists of the day, and to say, look, this is a thing that has, and uh, inspired you so much or influenced you so much as to say to actually create the books in the first place. Yeah, and I also think I, I I really like the sort of the romance around how the guys created the art as well because. Some of the modern games we talked about earlier, I would imagine a lot of the pixel art is done in things like Photoshop. Mm. Whereas back then, I don't know exactly how it was created, but I know it was really, really difficult that on the early Spectrum days and early Commodore 64 days, it was probably, you know, the, the pixels were keyed in on a keyboard. I think probably later they had sort of joysticks where they could sort of push pixels around in an art package. Um, but I've heard stories of, you know, people doing drawings on graph paper and then sticking them to a computer screen to sort of trace where the pixels go. And I just, I love all that sort of stuff. And I love the craft in it. And I think it's so important to capture and to record 
these things before they get lost. And I think that's another aspect to why I really love what, what I'm doing is the sort of the, to, to record it for later years mm. because, you know, these people, you know, the developers aren't going to be around forever. And I think it's really important that, you know, they tell their stories because they are fascinating. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it is something to celebrate it when, when done well, because let's face it, I don't have to bring this up, but it didn't always go according to plan. Um, uh, and uh, you know, some, some looking at some of the uh, travesties is just as entertaining sometimes as the triumphs. Um, but be that as it may, be that as it may, um, what uh, what developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? What's the one you think? Maybe the one from the, the, this time period from what you're looking at, whether from the 16-bit or, or, or indeed 8-bit eras. What's the one you think, they were awesome? I think that's pretty easy for me. I'd say a guy called Paul Norman, right. who who did uh, some very famous Commodore 64 games, early Commodore 64 games, um, called, uh, one called Az- Aztec Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he did one called Forbidden Forest, and then he did a game oh. called Forbidden Forest. Forbidden Forest was amazing, and yes. Uh, so Paul, div- it, yeah. go on. So Paul did uh, the thing that I, the reason I think he's amazing is not only is he a great game designer, um, but he did the coding, the graphics, and the music, which I think was quite commonplace in the really early days. Um, the sort of jack of all trades sort of approach. Um, but just created the most amazing atmospheric games, great gameplay, and you know, Forbidden Forest used to scare the hell out of me as a kid. Haunting music and really blocky graphics, but I don't know how he managed to get so much emotion and so much um, atmosphere into a few coloured squares. I just think it's an amazing talent, and yeah, he he really sticks out for me, Paul Norman. There was groundbreaking stuff, um, and uh, very difficult to fathom playing that game initially. But uh, once you get used to it, once you get used to the interface and how what you're trying to, trying to do, then very quickly becomes terrifying, as you say, <laughs> because one false move and you were you know kaput, and it didn't take a great deal to make a false move in that game. But yeah, do look it up. Uh, um, that game, it's uh, and you're right. The music is very, very creepy, very creepy. Fantastic. Yeah, for for even, I say even on a SID chip, how can I possibly say that? Uh, yes, the SID chip managed to convey. Yeah, you really shouldn't be here. Maybe we should turn the game off. Um, but um, anyone else before we move on? Um, the only one that jumps into my mind is a guy, a musician called Matthew Cannon. Mm. who worked at Ocean in the late 80s. Uh, obviously, I didn't know this at the time, but he started working there when he was 17, which I find incredible. Mm. Um, and he did the music for Batman the Movie, which is one of my favourite games on the Commodore 64. Um, for those who haven't um, played it, it was a uh, obviously like a movie licensed game, and it was a really good sort of... Uh, multi sort of level game so there'd be like a platform section at the start in the chemical factory and then there'd be the sort of batmobile sort of section sort of driving there's a puzzle element as well just a really fantastic game but it was the music that really really stuck in my mind and by matthew and when i got back into sort of retro gaming um however long ago it was sort of about seven years ago or so um that was one of the first things i looked up was matthew's music Mm. and I can just remember the ocean when the game loaded, his name came up and it just always stuck with me that, and I used to love loading it to listen to his music and, um, yeah, just great. And again, I just find it amazing. He was 17 when he did it. And it's that thing again about the sort of romance around it, that it's just, he created something so amazing at such a young age. I just think it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people like that, you know. A lot of the games we celebrate now, or you know, were made by teenagers. Yes. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just think, really, they were like, yeah, they hadn't finished it, and they weren't even thinking about university. Well, they should have been. Well, not say should have been, but you know, traditionally they would have gone off to university. But in many cases, these people didn't, 
and uh, they just want, it's like, well, I know how to code because we know, all know the story. We all know the stories of how some of the people who bought those computers really did use them for school. <laughs> you know, really did sit there and learn how to use them and code with them. Um, things that we, um, to this day, think uh, only wizards do, they could actually fathom. They understood what assembly was. They could actually understand hexadecimal and understand that moving memory from one place to another uh, and also turning switches on and off within the machine itself, because that's basically what assembly is, could then enable them to create these extraordinary worlds which we all experienced. Uh, it still amazes me, the kind of gymnastics they had to pull off and continue to pull off to this day in some cases uh, for to make these computers and, and the consoles sing. I um, mm. know you definitely saw that, uh, when you know the latest, not, not latest compilation, one, but before that, the NES one. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, it, this this is a platform that we didn't, you know, you and I uh, were not particularly familiar with because the NES wasn't as very big in the UK for obvious reasons, overpriced and too late and too slow. Sorry, but it, it was. It was very expensive. All the games were really expensive, and they ran ten percent, fifteen percent slower because it was PAL. Um, but despite that, um, you know, we've now got hold of them in an as mini and all sorts of nonsense um, that we can now play them for the, the for worth, and they were just mind-bogglingly amazing <laughs> for what they were running on, uh, and because of these these adept people, yes, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, the nurse wasn't really a thing over here, as you say, but my my best friend had one mm. growing up, so. I was exposed quite a lot to that and, you know, uh, he, his family had a bit of money, so, um, which was always the way to have one of those. As you said, the games were about £40, I think, yes. which was when we were paying two ninety nine for a Mastertronic game, that was just um, too much of a leap for my parents. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's about £90, the, more than the current currency i'd say you know yeah. i mean people complain about 50 quid for games now and then all the microtransaction nonsense which we can you know let's not go there for that and uh oh here's here's some you know you pay more money to, to get more content um with provided you open this loot crate but it's um you know to, to it's the, the it was an extraordinary uh amount of money but the the, the bang for buck you got was some some cases almost worth it. Not all cases, of course, mm. but um, yeah, were, there were some amazing games that they managed to get out of that system. And there was a, I think it was a second or maybe third generation eight bit console. I think I might be right in saying that. In that, at its heart, it still had an eight bit processor, but it was all the custom chips surrounding it that made it sing. Right? Mm. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's, I think that's how it worked because, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it did things that, you know, we now see the Spectrum Next and people seeing the screenshots saying, wait, that looks like an Amiga. Yeah, what's happening there? <laughs> it's, it's because they're making the ZAT chip do things that, you know, and let, let other custom chips do all the do all the graphics and things, which is what allows you to free up the pro the eight bit processor, but it can it still can only do so much. Mm. So, last question for the first half. So you're almost there. Well done. <laughs> Made it for the first half. But uh, this is my favourite question. I love asking developers and and authors like yourself or the publisher like yourself. This very sort of fundamental question is: What are you playing right now? I'm playing a game which I talked about earlier, which is called Axiom Verge. Mm -hmm on the Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it's been out since I think it came out in 2014 for yeah. PS4, so I'm a little bit behind <laughs> right. the retro <laughs> around that. So I got my, um, I love my Switch, and um, I saw it pop up, and it's essentially a Metro, Super Metroid clone, but it was obviously in this sort of pixel style, so I was immediately drawn to it, but it does lots of modern things with scrolling and you know all the sort of modern tricks you can do on something like a Nintendo Switch and I'm absolutely hooked on it at the moment it's a fantastic game I mean it really does um, borrow heavily from Super Metroid but it kind of puts a few twists here and there 
and graphically it is absolutely beautiful and the guy I forget his name thomas someone apparently did everything he did the coding the music and, and all sorts so yeah full full respect to him but yeah i'm full on on that at the moment and then friday is going to be all about super mario odyssey when that turns up oh heavens yes big day yeah, yeah so that's on pre-order so that's yeah gonna, okay yeah, well. I, I did play that at egx and uh I was thoroughly impressed, but there's so much to do in it. I mean, so, so much to do. Um, But going back on Axiom Verge, it's also out on a PC for quite some time as well. Is it? Okay. Which is is the platform I I generally play on. Uh, I do have a Steam box that allows me to, uh, a link box, as I say, that allows me to to, to transmit my PC onto my television in my living room, So, which I highly recommend. But don't try it on Wi-Fi. They only do cable. Just saying. Um, but anyway, it's yeah, it's a love. It's a fantastic game. Really, really. I mean, when it first came out, it was really far too difficult. Far, far too difficult. And definitely a case of the developer not being playing this game so often, so long that he couldn't actually. <laughs> he couldn't. You know, he didn't. Couldn't comprehend that what he'd made was actually too difficult to even play, and he had to. You know, um, so. Um, so let's turn it down a bit. But other than that, yes, it's a it's a fantastic game. Mm. Um, and uh, anything else? Um, mainly playing on the SNES Mini, actually. Okay. What what kind of? I mean, do you play Star Fox too? Because I'm not keen. Uh, no, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't yet. Um, I go straight to my default game of Street Fighter Two. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's just got a really good. It's got Street Fighter Two Turbo on there, mm. and I started playing Super Mario World with my daughter. So we're trying to work our way through, um, taking it in turns for the levels on that, and because that's such an amazing Mario game. And then just been flicking through the others on there, but mainly it's been Super Mario World and Street Fighter Two. That's about it at the moment. Yeah, I've just never really got into the Street Fighter games. I mean, I, was, I just haven't got the hand-to-eye coordination that's demanded of you. And the whole, you know, I know players who count frames of animation in order to do I was like, really? Really? It's just, so I do degenerate into the realms of button mashing, uh, which is a problem, I know. but uh, I mean, I'm not very good at it. For me, it's more, it's very nostalgic for me when... Okay. And my we when we were kids we used to work um in Butlin's holiday camp in the summer holidays and we would carry people's luggage for them and you'd get like a tip and we'd go straight into the arcades in Butlin's and all play Street Fighter 2 and so it's very nostalgic for me mm. um from my childhood so I um I like it as a game but it, yeah it, it it's um I'm not very good at it but it um Definitely, definitely nostalgic. Yes, I, I do hear people say, oh, start talking about how they're just dominated in the game, and it's like, yeah, no, it's just, uh, not a thing for me. And I do remember at the time it came out, and for me, I was um, very much shunning consoles, and um, and I was very much into my in-depth sort of strategy games and looking at that game. But it's just weird <laughs> cartoon characters punching each other. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not in for that. I yeah. never have been. Uh, I've tried. I mean... You know, Soul Calibur is one of my favourites, but then again, that really isn't much of a beat him up. It's more of a stop yelling at me. No, it's true. It's just a button masher's dream. <laughs> you know, and be able to sidestep as well was really annoying for people. You sort of le- le- lurch at you, you just sidestep away and like, stop there. Like, 3D. Hey, 3D. Come on. There's a depth to this. Shut up. But um, yeah, still, still love those games. Really, still, still remember fond memories of Dreamcast and, and Soul Calibur, two, no less. Uh, well, because there was a Soul, you know, a game that came out on PS One, which was really cool as well. Actually, really, really good. So, yeah. But um, no, I do love my SNES Mini. I don't regret. No buyers regret whatsoever. I did stream on it for three hours. I only mm. kept on kept on only stopped because I was falling asleep um, <laughs> because I streamed it when I, the day I got it because I actually picked up no it's not true I picked it up at midnight on a Thursday because just so happened they were selling FIFA on the same day yeah so I was sitting there lined up with a bunch of FIFA fans 
<laughs> and I walked up to the campus and he looked at me and they sort of groaned because there's like they've opened at midnight at my local game store because when I buy hardware I always pre-order it from a store I mm. always pre-order it from a store because that way I know I've got it in my hands and I don't have to rely on the postal service to get it to me it's like nope I'll just rely on the distributors to the stores to get it and it's mm. way simpler that way anyway um, going up and she looked at me this this counter you know this, this shop assistant looked at me and said oh FIFA I said no snares and she brightened up and went yay and she sort of grabbed it and you know and it was just a, it's a it was a lovely thing but no uh, I did play um, Star Fox 2 on it and yeah that's the reason why that game wasn't released <laughs> Yeah, uh, which is sad. Um, uh, no, no offense, Dylan and your cohorts, Dylan Cuthbert, that is. But yeah, that wasn't that was not a good game. Uh, but I did play Donkey Kong Country and stuff like that, and I did play Mario Kart because so, Mario Kart is the very first game I played on the snares. Mm. So I don't think I'm on, you know alone in that you know, that, that sort of tranche of people who have said that. And uh, I remember saying on the on the stream at the time, you know, oh yeah, this is a uh, this is the game I played with, and I, I played Toad. And my brother had the his brother who had the snares. He had an import snares. It, it looked. I remember seeing it going, "What's that ugly thing?" I don't remember the snares looking like that. It was actually an American one. Mm. And he said, "Oh yeah, let's, let's play um, let's play Mario Kart. It's it's great. You play Toad because it's easy to control." Ever since then. <laughs> Every time I play Mario Kart, no matter what version it is, whether it's 8 Deluxe or the very first one, it's always Toad. <laughs> it's always Toad. People look at me, what's wrong with this? Control's better. No, he doesn't. No, he does. He, he does, apparently. There's something about is he's much tighter on, on corners, mm. apparently. I'm sure people are yelling again down on their podcast, talking out your ass, Chris. Maybe. My show, shut up. <laughs> um, so, okay, well, great responses. And, yeah, it's good to know that you are playing current games. Because I just love games. You know, you, you know that about me. I just Regardless of when, when, when and when they are, and what in format they're in, I will play them. Um, if they're fun, if they're entertaining. If they're not, no, no it's not true. Because all, not all games are fun. Let's not go there. Um, if they are engaging and diverting and of interest and engrossing and that kind of thing then I will play them so and that's how I think everyone should adopt any film any medium speaking of compelling things and compendiums see what I did there yeah (laughs) I'm good at this Um, let's move on to the second half where we delve deep into the visual compendiums This is you are the originator of the bitmap books. Is that right? You're one of the founders of this, this company. Yes, that's correct. So that's fair enough. But these books you've made, you've made five now. Yeah, so there's five. five. There's five books. There's five volumes. The first one is C64, and they're all called. They basically they start title of the computer involved, and then it says colon a visual compendium. Yeah, and um, the third one was the Spectrum. The second one was on the Amiga. Yep, glorious machine that as that was. And the fourth one was on a NES, and the fifth one was on the Neo Geo. No, no, no. The fifth one was on the SNES. On the SNES. Apologies. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be another one on the Neo Geo, isn't it? Or isn't it out now? On the, on the yeah, the, the Neo Geo isn't a visual compendium. It's oh. similar. But it's, it's yeah, okay. but it's not in the series. Deepest apologies. So it's the snares <laughs> that was on the. Uh, so yeah, um, I have actually only got up to um, number three personally. I actually sort of uh, going to be investing in the other two very soon. Uh, but uh, uh, it's 
tell us about what they are. <laughs> just sort of describe them for us. Yeah, so essentially they are a celebration of everything visual about that particular system. So I'd say the main the main chunk of each book is pixel art. And as I mentioned earlier, the style that that they follow is uh, one game per double page spread. And that'll be one iconic scene from a game and with some text on there, but not much text uh, between 100 and 200 words um, per spread um, with like an anecdotal um, comment or story from the original developer or um, a, a sort of a renowned games journalist. And the, the books are in chronological order. Um, so w- what I love about that is that you get to see the pixel art evolve over the lifespan of the machine and how it, um, how and when developers and artists started getting a real handle on how to do things, things start getting quite more complex, which I, which I love. Um, so it's pixel art mainly. Um, and there's also, uh, photography in there as well of the systems. Um, some really nice sort of close up photography showing off the curves and the, you know, all the different sort of angles of the machines. Um, and also we, uh, in not, not in all the books, but in, in some of them, uh, we shot box art as well, um, which I think is another sort of key thing that we all used to sort of make our gaming choices on. <laughs> in many cases, you're right. In many cases, we pick it up, stare at the cover, then flip it over. Notice it was a C64 shot on a Spectrum game. <laughs> like, why do they do that? Then you see some blurb on the back, which you manage to just about read, uh, and then go, right, is this worth my £2? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or indeed £5 when you had somehow managed to acquire that amount of money to buy a game and thinking about actually buying a game for 5 or sometimes even £8 when it was really special. I seem <laughs> to remember the Elite. Elite was... was Quite expensive, actually. Uh, but yeah, you got your you got your money's worth in that one, in my humble opinion. Um, so, but that's what what it is. But it's, like I said, it's not just a visual compendium. There is a lot of there's some interviews in here, and there's some box art you say, and there's also some magazine covers as well, isn't there? Yeah. So the series has kind of evolved over the years. What the first the first book I did on the Commodore sixty four was was quite sort of stripped back i think and there wasn't a lot of words in the book um and i kind of liked that but some of the feedback i got was that it would be nice if there was a little bit more to read um which i took on board and i didn't sort of disagree with so Mm. one one thing i didn't want to do was add layers of text to the game images because that would you know i think it would take away from the pixel art so one thing I introduced from the Amiga book onwards was um, each book would have five developer or artist interviews in there. So each interview would um, be like a Q&A and it would include lots of their sort of their artwork um, or sort of games that they produced. And that would sort of go over a couple of spreads and there'd be five of those in each book. Mm. And then we included sort of like developer profiles as well so on the amiga we profiled like companies like system free sort of run through some of their games and showing imagery so i think it was a great foil for the visual pages that you know you'd have a few pages of pixel art and then suddenly you'd get something to read and i really like that that it sort of interrupts the flow um of the of the book and as you say there's we've done features on magazines as well like crash and zap um, not massively, massively in depth, but that's kind of not what I'm trying to do with these books. They're not, uh, you know, they're not the most in depth thing in the world. They are, I think, um, for like a real good nostalgic hit, if you like. And I think they do that successfully quite sort of quickly. You can flip through and think, Oh, I remember that. I remember that. And you know, you get that lovely warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feeling that we all know and love. Yeah, and there's also the fact that you don't want to go down the realms of, oh, do you remember this? 
And then just some random picture of something. It's funny, isn't it? Remember that? Like, no, there's, there's more. So what you've done here is there is a case of yes. Do you remember this? Well, <laughs> that, that last bit is really makes it stand out from the, you know, the, what we see a lot on the internet where someone shows a random picture up on Twitter, which isn't a picture of a cat. <laughs> Weird, right? And uh, says, uh, remember this? And that's it. That's it. It's just now. Does anyone remember Jet Set Willy? What? Yes, everyone does. Do you have a point to raise about it? About how it was a very good game. What? Well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You know, yeah, it's controversial, but that's my opinion, and I'm sticking by it. Banyan tree. That's what I'm going to say. Um, so yeah, I defy anyone who's actually managed to achieve that and finish that. But yeah, it's. Uh, it, 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 you're right. Very accurate description of what you're saying. It's not just. You could have very easily done that. It would have taken you far less time <laughs> to say, yeah. "Here's a screenshot. Here's another one. Here's another." And there are books out there to do that already. Mm. Okay, and that's fine. They're great for, for what it is. But it does have double into the realms of remember that. Like, yeah, what? Uh, whereas um, you, you you go one step further and. And uh, and uh, have comments and, and interviews and photos of the machines themselves. <clears throat> so, first proper question. Brace yourself. Ready? Ready. How do you curate what's included in these books? How do you do it? How do you sit down? Because there were 10,000 games, for example, made on the Spectrum. And not all of them were great. And not, you haven't got 10,000 games in this book. <laughs> so, what, what did you do? What did you... How did you... I mean, that's a tough... That's a big ask to sit down and go, I want, you know, you could have just done, been, you know, I'm not say lazy, but you could have just gone, scanned the top 100 games according to your Sinclair. That would have worked. But, so how did you do it? Well, mainly, the main thing I've done throughout is be really honest with myself and admit that I'm not an expert in all of these systems. Um, as if there's any shame in admitting that. Um, I think Commodore... Commodore machines are my main strength, but what I've done throughout all of the books is um, worked with a team of people. I mean, I'm I do, do all the graphic design, but I work with um, some amazing writers and photographers and pixel artists, and also work with I sort of call them consultants, if you like. But so, for instance, on the Commodore sixty four book, I. I had my opinion on what the what books what sorry what games should go in there, but I've worked with people who, you know, I've run that list past them and said, you know, look at this with fresh eyes. Is, are there any missing? Do you think it's hitting the right sort of you know sort of nostalgia sort of things? And you know, they've said, oh no, you can't not have this in there. And you know, they've questioned some of my choices, saying, well, that's your favourite game, Sam, but you know, there might not be other people's you know, sort of favorite games. So I suppose to answer the question is just working with um, people who, um, and particularly on the spectrum, uh, working with people um, that know the machine inside out and running my list past them and getting advice. And really, um, I probably, to be honest, I probably do start with the top 100 games, but then that 100 games looks a lot different a few weeks later, once it's had been added to and removed. And then what you're left with is a list of 100 games that I think is really representational of, you know, what... Because also the filter is visuals as well on this. So um, it's quite hard sometimes because I only really want to include games that look good. Um, and there are some very iconic games that haven't made the book because, you know, they're like... a I don't know, like a like a um, board game or something that just didn't work very well on a page, and I've had to make some quite tough decisions around that. Um, but yeah, it, it it really is just working with working with some great people that know the machines inside out and just you know um, ask getting their advice and working with them on that. Yeah, I mean the Snes book, for example, that must have been quite tough. Uh, because there were some amazing third-party games that were released on that. That I mean, uh, focusing on the US and Europe's kind of releases, I'm assuming. Um, certainly from what I could see, 
it's like, well, that came out in the snares. Yes, it did. <laughs> and you know, and it's 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 difficult to not annoy people going, how could you not cover this? Well, because, you know, yeah. I only had this money of pages, and <laughs> it would have been a telephone directory. Do you remember those kids? Ask your parents. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of one of the first things that I learnt was that you can't please everybody. No. And it is really hard, but you can't. You know, you can't put everyone's favourite game in, and you know, you do see people saying, "Oh, you know, why didn't you put, why didn't you put, you know, my favourite game in?" And you know, you just can't. It's just really hard. So it's, as I said earlier, I think it's just really asking as many people to make to make sure that there's no glaring omissions. Um, you know, obviously yeah. you get big hitters in there such as Mario Kart and you know Kirby, but it's where where I think it gets really interesting for me is when you get your obvious ones and then you start digging around the edges, like you've just said and said, wow, I never knew that came out on that system. And that's when it starts getting really interesting for me. Um, yeah. because there's some hidden gems as we call them that mm-hmm. you know, have amazing graphic, amazing graphics, but they're really unknown games. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's a really cool thing. I think to include those. Yeah, I mean, I'm just flicking through now, and I thought, well, let's let's put your what you just said to the test. You know, you've gone for the uh, uh, you've gone for the the, the obvious big hitters. And I'm like, let's see if he's got Lords of Midnight and the Spectrum one. Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course he did. That yeah. would have been you would have been yeah, pitchforks and and, and uh, torches at your door if you hadn't done that. And you've done a fantastic job of that because you actually did the loading screen for it, which is which is awesome. Which yeah, that game. Even to this day, I, I can I can speed play it, but I can only do the walking mission. I can't do the military at all. Uh, <laughs> although someone told me the other day how to do the military mission, so I might try it one day. Um, so, what um, related to what we just said about the games that were sort of kind of surprises that arrived on machines? What titles have surprised you when you researched into them? What things? Just, I mean, it's a big ask because it's like you've, you've you've actually gone through hundreds and maybe even thousands of games, in all in, in the five books you've released so far. But what are the ones that immediately peak to mind? Like, wow, really? It did that, or they did this? Any particular highlights you can think of? Yeah, I think probably ones. Probably the NES jumps out at me quite a lot as. I only really ever knew the um, the more obvious games on the NES. I guess I'd never dug that deep into the back catalogue, and I was constantly surprised about what I was finding because um, the graphics were getting better as you know as time went on, and I was always under the impression that things like parallax scrolling were only ever done on sort of 16-bit machines or something you know, like Shadow of the Beast, which is the one of the most famous examples, isn't it, of parallax yes. scrolling? Non-game, uh, but great demo. Oh, awful game. <laughs> awful game. Awful, yeah. awful, awful game, game. Isn't it, really? Sorry, it is, everyone. Don't, don't <laughs> deny it. It's a bad game. Carry on. So, but there was a game on the NES um, called Batman Return of the Joker, mm-hmm. and I think it was a follow-up to the original um uh, Batman game on the NES, which is a very sort of revered game by uh, Sunsoft. But I was looking at it and I was just like, I could not believe this parallax scrolling going on in the backgrounds. And you know, it's not doesn't quite look like a SNES game, but it's pretty damn close, you know, to being there. And mm. that's one example that springs to mind where I just thought, wow, this machine is pretty special. You know, you know, the, you know, you take Duck Hunt and Mario, you know, Super Mario, but then on the other end of the scale, you've got some pretty serious games here. Um, I can't remember the exact titles off the top of my head, but some of the Japanese stuff as well, what they were doing with adventure games and RPGs was really impressive. And I would urge anyone to have a dig around the Famicom back catalogue and some of the lesser known NES games. There's some absolute sort of genius games um some great shoot 'em ups as well scrolling shoot 'em ups by you know companies like konami ones that i've never heard of um just beautiful beautiful games obviously you get the flickering on the nes which is 
a bit annoying. Um, obviously, in a book, <laughs> that's not a problem. Um, but if you can look past that, I think, yeah, I think the NES is definitely one to that had the most surprises for me. I think. Okay. okay. Yes, it's, it's a great response. I mean, looking through them and seeing some of the stories behind some of the games, it's just like they did that. Yeah, they said that I had. They had to do that. Mm. It's just amazing. And um, this sort of again leads me on to my next question. See, I've done this before. Um, is um, you know, can you tell us about who writes this commentary in in the book? Because it's not always the developer. In fact, in most cases it isn't. It's some person who's commenting on who was a contemporary of the game when it came out. There might have been a reviewer or video game reviewer or may have been the artist on it or an artist for another game and then just commenting on this. So can you tell us how do you select these people and uh, how how did that come together? How did you merge these minds together to, to make this? Yeah, sure. I mean, my my strength isn't around words. I'm, I'm, I'm a visual person. So when I first started doing um, the Commodore 64 book, Back in 2014, I kind of needed some help around the words. And I was extremely lucky because um, I was chatting to my friend, Neil Grayson, who runs the Commodore Format Archives. And he suggested that I should speak to a guy called Steve Jarrett, who was the, who was the, um, the founder, he launched Commodore Format magazine, which for those who don't know was a Commodore 64 magazine, which was launched amazingly in the sort of the early 90s. Um, and Steve also launched magazines such as Edge and the official PlayStation magazine, The Future. So he's, you know, a real big player, um, real big journalist in the sort of the games industry. And Neil sort of introduced me to him and just to sort of pick his brains really about sort of who's contact to help me mm. got chatting and um amazingly turns out that he's also lives in bath um so literally you know we're about two miles apart so we went for a beer and got chatting and he basically amazingly just said any help you want i'm all over it you know i love what you're doing i love the look of the book so really Steve has been the anchor throughout all of the books and he he um checks all the texts, makes sure it's all, you know, pucker. Um it within the early books he would um he was obviously the editor, where well, he still is the editor throughout all of them, but he would um mainly be sort of subbing content that come from other people. So for instance, in the Amiga book, um I need to feature, say, Monkey Island. I would think, okay, who 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 did the artwork? Who did who did the coding? You know, I would contact like Ron Gilbert, and I would ask him some questions about the game, and he would send through um, some anecdotal sort of stories around around the development, and then Steve and I would then take what Ron's written and sort of craft it into a a soundbite as we call it, sort of get it down to about 200 words. Um, in the later books, on like the NES and the SNES, it's just been impossible to find the original developers of some of these games because a lot of them work for Nintendo mm. still, so they can't contractually talk about the games um, outside of Nintendo. And obviously the Japanese developers would just be uh, an absolute nightmare and it would take me about five years to sort of <laughs> locate all these people. Mm. So what we started to do is that um, Steve has written, um, he's basically reviewed games within the book. So it's it's not a developer talking, it's Steve, if you like, um, reviewing them, which has been a really great way of releasing the shackles, if you like, around what games we can include, because it now means that we can include any games, because Steve can sort of review them as well. Does that kind of answer the question? It does. It does. <laughs> I think uh, the anchor seems to be around Steve and his contacts throughout the years in working in the industry. I, mean, he's, I think he's one of the founders of Future. I do not know. I can't remember. But, yes, he um, certainly founded Edge, which is still going. Still going. Yeah. Yeah, Although they've yeah. got bylines now, 
just doesn't feel right. But there it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, red eye. Oh, God. Thanks, D. Anyway, <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's it, it certainly. You know, I'd always known that the the future and the, the develop of the publishers of the, and the makers of this magazine is all based in Bath. Mm. You know, all roads led to that city, which is a lovely, beautiful city. Uh, I've been there a few times, and it's lovely. Uh, wonderful university there. So it's um, it's doesn't surprise me. <laughs> this is a couple of miles away that you and definitely a meeting of minds. Clearly, cares about as much as you do about these games, and is happy to have what you've basically created. And I'm going to say it now: it's like an art exhibition in a book. Mm. You know, it's it's big because there's a there's power up, which is an exhibition going on in the science museum at the moment, and that feels very much similar to this. It's in spirit. It's a bit like walking through uh, an exhibition or an installation, if you like, of art, and say, look, look at this, look at all of these things, and isn't that amazing? Look at that, and and it does feel like you know, and the the little text. Is the kind of text you have next to a painting or a, or or a sculpture, you know, and it just describes what the sculpture's about or what you know who 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 painted or what what was the what was the subject of this painting. And whereas in 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 the the compendiums you've done is very much similar to you know this is how this is made or this is why this is difficult or what have you. Uh, and this is the machine it was played on. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is this is really really cool. So, so last question. I know all good things must come to an end, but uh, we are we're now reaching reaching to the very last gasp of this wonderful show. At least I think it is. Some of the images in the books are of whole maps of games. Yes. Did you ever conceive that some of these games were so huge? <laughs> I mean, did you know that there were that, that? Did you have an inkling? I mean, I'm looking at the Cauldron and Cauldron 2 on the Spectrum one. Sorry to bring up the Spectrum one, everyone, but it's the one that I grabbed. Uh, I mean, the, the, all the other books have similar sort of maps and sort of. What, what, is, what was the idea behind those? And did you. I thought it would be a good idea what the idea behind that, but what, what any games that sort of piqued your mind? Like, really? Really? Anything? Yeah, I've been. So. The reason I like to include the maps is just because it's not a way that we have ever saw the game, obviously, unless it was sort of printed in a magazine. But a lot of the old maps and magazines were mainly sort of sometimes hand-drawn, weren't they, the early mm-hmm. ones? Yes. Um, so to see all the screens sort of stitched together, I just think is a really, really cool thing. And the example used Cauldron is the sort of the really tall castle, isn't it? Yeah, with the little wizard with the hats, the, the witch's yeah. hats. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's a great map. I mean, I never got on with the game because it's so blasted and difficult. Yeah, um, it's Cauldron Two actually. Yeah, it's Cauldron Two. Yeah, and I couldn't, and I wanted to love the game. I really did, but it was just so blasted difficult. I suspect if I tried again now with my modern sensibilities and understanding of video game design. Blah, 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 blah. I would actually get way more out of it. I'm actually finding that a lot. Like I used to despise Underworld because I just couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do. Now I know what to do. Why? Because I read the manual, saw some videos on YouTube. Like, oh, that's how you play this game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel so stupid—not stupid, but ignorant. But you know, back then we we didn't have a great attention span like I do now. Uh, and I sort of revel in that, that I can actually enjoy the games in a different way. It's one of the reasons I play these retro games because I have a different mindset now, I have a different approach to things, and that allows me to experience and enjoy these games in a different way. And and the reason I want to raise this, this the idea of these maps is because we only saw the top of the iceberg, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We did, and to see to see them all stitched together, I think, is a really cool thing. And. Um, yeah, I don't like to, I don't like to do it too often because I think sometimes it takes away from the sort of the, the single screen um, that we would have seen. But some games work really well, I think, as 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 maps and um, some games are really hard to show. Uh, as a map, for instance, in the Super Nintendo book, I was looking at showing Super Metroid maps, and that game 
is just too big to show. Um, it, it just yeah, that would have degenerated into tiny pixels of blobs. Yeah. yeah. What's that bit? Well, <laughs> so yeah, Super Metroid is definitely super. Metroid, you could have done it, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah. I would argue against that in that you already get an auto map anyway. I mean, yeah. these are, these games, I'm talking about the early sort of 8-bit computers, no way. No! No, you got a pen and paper? Off you go then. <laughs> Come on. You know what to do. Um, but yeah. Well, Sam, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, thank you very, very much for sharing your experiences in making these, these wonderful books. Can you tell us where you can get them from? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can get them from a website, which is www.bitmapbooks.co.uk. Great. And uh, I'll we'll have that in the show notes. Um, and uh, we'd love to have you back on where you chat about another volume that you've got planned. I'm not sure what that will be. Maybe on the ST. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> why, why, why would you do that? Why? It's just... Oh, look, it's, like, it's kind of like the, the Amiga, only slightly less colours. Why? Uh, so, <laughs> so um, but no, uh, I'm sure you've got something planned. Don't tell us now. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much for doing it. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me on, Chris. It's been great. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stable mate podcast should we say on spong.com bye